Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 14. And the last time we covered the name of the sermon was Babylon has Fallen, and we spoke about very interesting geographical location in what's now modern-day Iraq, but Babylon was a, a great kingdom, not great meaning godly, but magnificent as far as worldly, secular kingdom about the 6th century B.C., and um, a lot of weird stuff came out of Babylon. A lot of false religion, a lot of paganism came out of that. And today, we're kind of hitting the end of, of Babylon. For those of you who are interested in history, you find it fascinating. But there's also a spiritual component to it. Uh, this morning's t- title is The Root of the Problem. And what we need to see, and I'm going to read a scripture that expresses this really well at the end, is that when people do evil things, Listen, God has given mankind um, free will. We can make choices. We can choose him, we can choose good, or we can choose evil. Unfortunately, the state of the world is in the state it's in, largely because of, of evil choices. And the root of the problem is, well, a lot of churches don't want to talk about this, but it's just where we are in Scripture. Very interesting. The person of Lucifer, or Satan, or the devil. A lot of misnomers about him, a lot of um, pop music with his name in it, uh, hell, the devil. But who is he? You know, what did he do? Is he a created being? Is, you know, is he equal in strength to God? Well, the answer to that is no. But we're going to look at that, and we're going to see this in four parts. Now, because there's so much information, I'm actually going to break it up into two sermons. So we're going to do half today, and we're going to do half next Sunday. But this is important because it's for our edification as well. You know, Satan can suggest things. Uh, People ask the question, can a believer be possessed? The answer is no. You know, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're part of God resides in you when you're saved. Uh, But Satan can harass. He can interject thoughts. He can um, kind of throw out the bait. Jesus is a fisher of men, but so is the devil. You know, he's got his, you know, Jesus tries to pull us in to save us. Satan tries to pull us in to pull us down and hold us under. And he's got lures too, you know, and he'll have his demons and his minions and go out there and try to tempt people. He lies to us. He does a lot of things. His MO is very diverse. It's multifarious. But, um, you know, his job is to, is to lie to us and deceive us and to pull us away from God as he did with the first humans that were made on the planet. So it's if, you know, if you're not familiar with the Bible, you probably find this very fascinating, to say the least. Okay, so verse 1 through 3, it says, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. Remember, this is a continuation from what we covered last Sunday, or the last time we were in this. And will still choose Israel, and settle them in their own land. The strangers will be joined with them, and they will cling to the house of Jacob. Then people will take them and bring them to their place, And the house of Israel will possess them for servants and maids in the land of the Lord. They will take them captive, whose captives they were, and rule over their oppressors. It shall come to pass in that day, the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear, 
and hard bondage in which you were made to serve. So one out of four is that Judah, which was the... So at this point in time, right, we know Israel crossed the sea, 1948 became a nation again, um, but it's one kingdom, it's one nation. The last time Israel was around, right, before other nations invaded it, she was two kingdoms. She was the northern and the southern kingdom, ten tribes in the north, two in the south. So when we talk about Judah, we talk about the southern kingdom that contains Jerusalem, which was the spiritual seat of the Jewish people. So it's fascinating. At the time Isaiah is speaking, the whole world is dealing with these Assyrians who were pagan, who were just nasty people. Um, they were bloodthirsty. And here you have God telling the prophet, and it's amazing, you see this in the scripture too, I think it's in First Peter, that the angels and the prophets, even when God was speaking through the prophets, they would write the stuff down, but they didn't even completely know what God's plan was. Right? And, and really, hindsight helps us to put all those puzzle pieces together. But the prophets were just obedient. However, here they're dealing with the Assyrian uh, bondage or suffering, and Isaiah is telling them, well, you're going to be, the Babylonians are going to capture the southern kingdom, which happened in 586 B.C., but this was spoken of in roughly the late 8th century B.C., so it didn't happen yet. You're going to be brought back and future Babylon or spiritual Babylon will be destroyed. I'm going to tie it all together. In Jeremiah 25, the prophet warned the southern kingdom because of their sin and wickedness that the Babylonians would invade. They would break down the walls of Jerusalem. They would take the people captive and expatriate them. And they would be in foreign captivity. But eventually under the Persians, they would be returned. And after the Persians came the Greeks and then the Romans. So if you're even fuzzy on history, you're like, okay, I can see the contiguity here. You know, one nation rises, another one falls, another one rises, and that's just the way it was back then. So you can see this back and forth before it was happening. Now, I'm going to say this a lot this morning, is I'm going to say in the near future and the far future. So for the Israelites, it was really cool because Isaiah would speak things in the near future. This is going to happen tomorrow. This is going to happen in a decade. But Isaiah would also speak things in the far future, which really blesses us because their near future is our past. But their far future was our future as well, where this is going to take place, the millennial kingdom, this glorious kingdom that we covered a few chapters ago, uh, where God is going to make the animals you know, lay down with each other and not fight each other, and people will be different and there'll be no more war. So that's going to be an exciting time. So in the, in the far future... To them, this was foreign, that Israel would be united, 1948, Israel becomes one solid nation, 1967, Israel gains biblical Jerusalem. And then, again, our, that's our past still, right? We're in 2018. Further down the road is the millennial kingdom where Israel will have an even greater sovereignty. Pastor Joe, <laughs> I didn't come here this morning to get a history lesson, so help me out here. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> Verse 1, God says he'll still choose Israel. And that's the blessing. And I even said that, you know, in, in, in the opening and in, in my prayer is when mankind sinned against God, we all by default became prodigals. And God has been doing everything he can to win us back to him. And one of the ways he did that was to send his son to die for our sins. So that's a really cool thing. When we finally, with our free will, choose him as he's wooed us or drawn us there's a, a love connection there and 
When that happens, God will never cast us off. So not only has He chosen Israel for His purposes, but every Christian, every person who trusts in Christ as their Lord and Savior, no matter where it is on the planet, that person is saved. And you never have to worry. People today, isn't it true, fickle relationships? You know, this person's your friend today, next year they're not. That person hates you, then they're your friend next year. I mean, this is just, we live in such a disconnected society, but God is not like that. When he loves, he loves hard. He falls hard for us. And he so loved us that his son left his, his throne and came down fully God and fully man to die for our sins. So that should give you a picture of God's eternal love. Also, Israel in verse 3 will rest from her sorrow. Now, of course, that's in the millennial kingdom in the future. It's under the Persians after the Babylonians. But even today, there's a, a spiritual and emotional component to that. If we could turn to Matthew 11, verse 28. You know, what Jesus says is applicable in any generation, in any era, in any year. 11:28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, if that doesn't describe us in the Northeast, I don't know what does. Now, when you actually read this scripture, there's an emotional component to this. He gives our spirit rest. He gives our mind rest. He's just that type of God. And we live in such a fast-paced society. But when we take that alone time with the Lord, He's there to minister to us. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light says it all. Verse 4, we continue. He says that you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say how the oppressor has ceased. The golden city ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers. He who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. Somebody did a study on since, uh, I don't know, uh, recorded history, uh, all the wars and the battles on the planet, and that there's only uh, maybe a few hours or a few days. Mankind has been fighting with each other since the beginning of time. That there ha there's such a small window where actually everyone is at peace and not killing each other. So it's interesting to look at what sin has done to the world. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. So two out of four is, well, the prideful king of Babylon dies. Now, this is in the short term, right? This is when the Medo-Persians conquered Babylon. Very interesting way they did it. Uh, Belshazzar was in the palace. He was co-regent with Nabonidus. You can go into your secular encyclopedia and find all this. Um, Belshazzar was kind of hanging out, having this drunken party with his, you know, with his staff. And, uh, and this, we find this in Daniel 5. Remember when we covered this in Daniel? He sees the handwriting on the wall. And this is where we get a lot of our expressions from in American vernacular. People say, where'd that come from? Because a lot of it comes from the Bible. Meeny, meeny, tekel you farsen. Daniel, what does this mean? Well, God's saying that your kingdom is, has been measured, it's been found wanting, you're going to be judged. 
Not really good news to the, for the king, but that's exactly what happened. Within a half an hour's time, so we read these verses, within about a half an hour's time, the golden city of Babylon was wrenched from Belshazzar because the Medo-Persians did a surprise attack and he's eventually killed. And I love this, the golden city. So if we go from uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Daniel, remember in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he has this dream of this metal man where the head is of gold. And Daniel says, that's your kingdom, O King Nebuchadnezzar, the head of gold, the golden city. So you see this reinforcement through the scripture. Now it's taken. A few things are said. The oppressor ceased. The Lord broke the staff of the wicked who ruled the nations in anger, and he was cut down. And God is telling his people, you know, at times you're going to suffer. Wicked kings, wicked leaders, wicked foreign entities that are going to come and invade, but it's only for a season. And, and in ministry, we talk about that today. People are struggling, and one of the things we hope to comfort them with is that it's, it's for a season. You look at some of the difficult times in your life, and you look back in the past, you know what? Yeah, it was a season. It was the past. And it's different now. But when you're in it, it feels like it's never going to end. And much of prophecy, because people say, prophecy, prophecy, what is that? It's confusing. I don't want to talk about it. But a lot of prophecy gives hope to God's people in any era. So the Jews were suffering under the Babylonians. It's only for a season. The Assyrians, it's for a season. The first century Christians under the Roman government, it's for a season. The future Antichrist that's going to dominate much of the world, right? It's for a season. For, for those of you that are maybe being troubled by somebody who's, uh, I don't know, in your job, who just has it out for you for no reason, it's for a season. You know, some trial you're going through, maybe by a wicked person, it's for a season. It's almost as the Lord is saying, I got this. I want you to rest. So prophecy, yes, it's for knowledge, but knowledge of itself doesn't do anything. It's for encouragement. It's for emotionally comforting. And it's for a hope for a future. Verse 8, the trees are rejoicing. Now this is interesting, and I'm going to get to this idea of this kind of poetic way that the Bible speaks, especially in the prophets. Mesopotamian leaders would come over to Lebanon and Israel and deforest. They would chop down a lot of trees. They would bring it back home for their building projects. So in a sense, yes, if the trees could talk, they would say, oh, so glad that we didn't get cut down. You know, there's still some of us left. But there's also a spiritual connotation because the trees are almost saying to the wicked ruler, to the king of Babylon, that we're, since you were cut down, right? So there's a, a, a personal application to this. You know, your pride, and we see this a lot. God likens taking the pride off of their perch um, through this kind of cutting down a tree sort of thing. And you've got you to follow the twists and, and turns of prophecy. But looking at the long term, there will be a future where this man of sin will rise and, and gather much of Europe together and head it, and he will practice revised Babylonian worship. So again, when people say, what do I care about Babylon? Well, in the future, it's going to come back again, right? That spirit is still alive. It hasn't been completely crushed. And in the next few uh, sections, we'll see this interspersing of what men actually do, wicked men, and the driving force behind them. You know, some people, when you say the devil, they laugh. You know, and, and I, I think it's ironic that those who laugh off an actual Satan 
are unwittingly being influenced by him. Think about that. Great irony there. Because he is a liar. He is a deceiver, even about himself. To some, he, his, his suggestions are done um, to make them look good. To others who don't believe in him, he continues to keep them in that state to deceive them and blind their eyes. He has a lot of tools in his, in his tool belt or his, uh, his backpack. Um, continuing on, verse 9. It says, Hell from beneath is excited about you, to the king of Babylon, to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They all speak and say to you, Have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol, or the realm of the dead. And the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread under you and worms cover you. So three out of four this morning is a reception in hell. People say if walls could talk, if hell could talk, well this is what it would say. So if we're talking about the near future, King Belshazzar, who is is killed and he's a wicked man, he ends up in hell. Now hell is actually... Hale, hell, Hades is a temporary realm of the dead when the great white throne judgment has later on in the future, um, the, the demons, Satan, the Antichrist will all be thrown in the lake of fire and the wicked ones will also be thrown in there as well. But it's not going to be fun. He says this for a reason. This is what's considered a, metaphor, a metaphoric anthropomorphism. Say that ten times fast. (laughs) But what that means is, so we talked about the trees rejoicing. I've never seen a tree rejoice. But this is the way that God is putting this prophecy out there. This is the way we're digesting it. Hell Hell is an inanimate place. It's a holding tank. But it's greeting the king of Babylon. Why does he do this? I think, I think it's genius. Of course, it comes from the mind of God because to me personally, to put a, a meta, uh, anthropomorphism is when you take a human characteristic and put it on something that's not human. So to me personally, when I read this, I, I kind of get a better picture. I understand it better and I, that's why God did it. Right? So we start to understand this. A little side note because I have to reach those that maybe you're not familiar with the Bible, but I also have to reach my people here who have uh, a deeper understanding. So I'm going to kind of take a quick aside, but in prophecy we see layers. And we layers over time. Something happens, a thousand years later it happens again, then it happens again. So let's just, for example, talk about when the, the prophet Daniel spoke about this abomination of desolation, this person who did such a wicked thing in the temple of God, where the Holy of Holies is. This actually happened B.C., uh, right around 168 B.C. Might be a little few years off on that, but uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, the Greek ruler after Alexander the Great's death, um, hated the Jews, went into their temple, which the Temple Mount is still there today. He trampled into the Holy of Holies, slaughtered a pig on the altar, which was blasphemous, and put up a, a an idol to Zeus. He did a horrible thing. He blasphemed God with that. Okay, well, he's gone and, and that, that's gone. In AD 70, the same thing happened under a different leader. Titus, the Roman, the Gentile who did not care about the things of God, 
in the war of the Jews and the Romans. In AD 70, they broke down the walls of Jerusalem. He went into the temple with his feet and his troops, and they profaned the Holy of Holies. Abomination of desolation. This will happen again in the future with the Antichrist when the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem. Yes, it will be. The Bible says it will, and they're already making plans for it. This, this leader will come in as a man and try to be worshipped as God, and he will go into the temple. He won't be able to be stopped, and he'll profane it. But again, again the Lord is going to come back and deal with him. So this abomination that makes desolate has happened at least two times, will happen a third time. Okay, let's move on. So what you have here is you have hell is, is stirring up all the kings that have gone there, or the wicked ones, not the good ones, of course. And they're speaking to this new person who's been sent in there. And basically they're saying, so you're now weak like us, your pomp is gone. Remember, he was a king, clothed in gold and, and fine linen and all that kind of stuff. Um, while your spirit is down here, lastly they say that, and if you can kind of get the picture on earth, his spirit, his consciousness is in hell, but his body is on the ground, and he did not get a king's burial, so when you're left outside, what happens? Maggots, right? Um, microbes, I'm just making, some of you might have had breakfast, I apologize in advance, but I do have to explain the scripture. Uh, and this is where his body is while his consciousness and his spirit is down in hell. It's been said that death is the great equalizer and humiliator and many things, and um, everyone needs to know that when we die, we go to one place or another. Right? The, the atheist and the agnostic hope that when I die, my consciousness see, ceases. But what if you're wrong? What if the Bible, out of love and out of warning, speaks of a whole system uh, and, and eternity and, and protocol and things that happen after we die? You want bliss, you want peace, you want joy. It's very simple. It's not about giving money. It's not about doing things. It's about trusting in Christ as your Lord and Savior. And that's what the gospel is all about. God provided that way so you could be rich or poor. You could be popular or lonely. You could be any of these things and be on the same footing as everybody else. That's the beauty of the gospel. And we'll give an opportunity as well after service. You have to consider what philosophy or religion or whatever you're putting your, your, your trust in. And when I was in my 20s, I went on that search. I grew up in a certain denomination, and I'm like, is this really real? And I actually found my way to Christ and the cross and the Bible, and here I am today. But I questioned a lot of things in my 20s. That's what's good about being in your 20s. You question everything. But you have to come to the truth. You have to land on something. When you're in your 60s and 70s and 80s, hey, it's great that you made it that long, but you're, it's a gamble at that point. There is an eternity. There is a God. There is a good and there is an evil. Choose wisely. Now, I have to tell you that when I was young, I had a lot of, I ran with some rough people and, uh, you know, <laughs> I had some friends who thought they were going to go to hell and run hell. We, we didn't know any better. I mean, we were, I'd be there with our, our beers or whatever, just saying stupid stuff. I remember it like it was yesterday. Having, you know, you read a book or you see something on TV and all of a sudden you have all this knowledge. You have nothing. What the Bible says is very different than pop culture, okay? There was a book called Paradise Lost where Satan says it's better to reign in hell than to serve in heaven. Good luck with that one. <laughs> Good luck with that one. 
<laughs> um, when I was young and I'm dating myself, I was a teenager and a young adult, I listened to music and they were obsessed with the devil and hell, but they were wrong, right? The songs like, you know, it's funny you, when you're young, you just sing songs in the car and I have all the lyrics in my head. I can't get rid of them, but, but they were wrong. You know what I'm saying? Let's see, some of the songs I listened to, Hell's Bells, Highway to Hell, that group really apparently was, had a fascination with hell. Sympathy for the Devil, the Devil Went Down to Georgia. Again, they were all wrong. You know, D.A. Carson, one of the most brilliant Bible scholars, has said that Jesus speaks more about the afterlife and more about hell than he does with heaven. And if you actually take the parables and put everything together, that's a true statement. Why? It's just like when you tell your three-year-old and they're walking towards the stove to put their hand on the flame and you yell at them, not because you want to hurt them or you're a mean parent, but because you can't get to them quick enough and with your voice you startle them and they don't touch the flame. That's why the Bible gives so many warnings, you see? But the cool thing is when you're in Christ, when you know the truth, when you have a relationship with the living God, you don't worry about that stuff anymore because it's a done deal. It's a given. So I just want to kind of help you out with that. Verse 12, we continue. I think even as a kid, my parents didn't know the Lord. I didn't either growing up. And I actually dressed up as the, the devil one Halloween. I had the red mask and the pitchfork. Blame my parents. But, uh, <laughs> it's amazing I ever got saved. But God is, is bigger than all that indoctrination. He re- obviously, you know what I'm saying? I know a lot of people with a similar testimony. We continue on in verse 12. Now watch the shift here. You're going to be like, where did this come from? How are you, and this is what prophecy is, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, Satan, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. We're going to catch this in Ezekiel. And consider you saying, is this the man? Now remember, you, he's in, in, in the state where he's judged. He doesn't have his power anymore. And people can only look at him and go, is this, this guy, this man? So don't get hung up on that term who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of the prisoners. Now we're going back to Babylon. Follow this. All the kings of the nations, all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of your grave like an abominable branch, like the garment of those who were slain, thrust through with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a corpse trodden underfoot. You will not be joined with them in burial because you have destroyed your land and slain your people. The brood of evildoers shall never be named. Prepare slaughter for his children because of the iniquity of their fathers, lest they rise up and possess the land and fill the face of the world with cities. Now, every Sunday I see new faces and I don't know your background. Don't freak out. (laughs) Some of the stuff that he's saying here is history before it takes place. So God's not saying, oh, I want to slay his children. What he's doing is he's telling the prophet to spread it around that this leader's going to come. And it's a warning to him as well. 
because when he's finally caught, the invading armies are going to do these things. They're not going to want any of his kids, and of course they're older, to sit on the throne. So just, you have, everything has to, this is why people, the scripture twisters, they can take any verse in the Bible, old and new, and make something crazy out of it that it doesn't say. That's why we read the whole chapter. We do whole books, because context is very important. So four out of four, the last section, which is the longest, longer section, is the prophecy against Lucifer, or Satan, or the devil, or the dragon, depending on where you are in the scripture, the evil one, the enemy of our souls, the liar, the adversary. He's a fallen angel. And the Bible says that he took a third of the angels with him in his rebellion. I wonder now if they're regretting that. But it's been a while. And he's the driving force. Why do we switch gears here? Why does he switch gears? Because Satan is the driving force behind these wicked rulers and those that hate God. So we're shifting from the rulers to the personality that drives the rulers. And again, it's a choice. What do we know about Lucifer? Well, if we can turn to Ezekiel 28.11, which is a companion scripture, Ezekiel does the same thing. Verse 11, he starts to speak about this wicked prince of Tyre, who actually was a man who had a God complex. But let's go back to the one with the initial, the original God complex, before he started deceiving everybody else. Verse 11, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God. Now watch this. The king of Tyre was a historical figure. He could not have been in the Garden of Eden. He could not have been in God's throne room. But let's, that's, this is why we're, we're switching gears now to Lucifer again. He said, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now you may ask me, if he was so smart, why did he rebel against God? People ask me the same question. Solomon was one of the wisest people who ever lived on the earth. We have his writings, the Proverbs, right? But he did some really stupid things. Did you ever know anybody who's so smart in the head, but they don't apply it, and they fail in life? They know it. The information is there, but they don't apply it. And that's actually a problem. It can be a problem with some in the church who hear the sermons, who like to be in the culture of Christianity, but they don't actually follow it. That's foolishness. Because you're taking God's wisdom and you're putting it aside. So he was brilliant and he was beautiful. Let's continue. And, and let me tell you something. I, I know a lot of stuff and I've done some really dumb things that I have shared once in a while on the pulpit. But So we, we're all guilty of this, okay? Um, not to his extent. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. There sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, beautiful stones, turquoise and emerald with gold, the workmanship of your timbrels, which was an ancient in instrument, and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Some speculate that Satan or Lucifer, before he fell, was God created him with almost these instruments that maybe were part of his body, that he could play music, and he was like the original worship leader, right? But he got caught up in his own propaganda, so to speak, okay? He says, you were the anointed cherub that covers. Who covers? A cherub was an order of angels. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you, God speaking to Satan, 
as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub. From the midst of the fiery stones, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. That, that comes up again. So this is very, very, very interesting. And I'm not going to read the rest of it. But in Ezekiel's prophecy, he speaks actually a lot about the angelic beings. And one of them he speaks about with God speaking to him to give to the people was about Lucifer. Um, Isaiah 14.11, at the sound of your stringed instrument, Ezekiel 28, same thing. He was given these instruments. He was probably an archangel. He was probably very beautiful. Um, his name, Lucifer, means morning star or day star. Now, this is interesting because people ask me these questions. Revelation 22.16, Jesus is called the bright and the morning star. Not blasphemy. Um, Gabriel, mighty angel of God, right? His name means man of God. Uh, Michael means who is like God. Daniel, Daniel, L means God. God is my judge. So prophets had the name of God in their name. Some of the angels had the name of God in their name. Except Satan's problem was he, he just loved himself so much and he felt that he should have more than he was given. As we go through this, really think about how people act like this. Because <laughs> I see some laughter got good eyes. I got one eye that's really um, nearsighted and one that's farsighted. So I can kind of, it just kind of switches on me. It's really cool. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but what we have to do is we have to see, because we, we can be, as Christians, again, we can't be inhabited by a demon. We can't be possessed. But we can be given suggestions. We can be told things. We could um, think that something is good and it's really not good. Or maybe to the average person, it seems good, but it's really not good, you know? And, and it really takes a maturity in the Lord to understand something that looks good, but is really not. Sometimes Satan will come in the form of anything we've ever desired. And you can find preachers on TV, some of them are on TBN, that preach this stuff. You go and I, people say, oh, I don't have to go to church. I watch Joel Osteen on Sunday morning or whatever. And that guy will tell you whatever you want to hear. That's why people love him. That's why he's always going to fill stadiums. Um, but he's not teaching the rest of the Bible. He's only teaching, and he says it, Select. I'm just an encourager. Well, you're not a pastor then. Because a pastor sometimes has to sweat up here. Because we have to preach the good and the bad. You know what I'm saying? The whole counsel of God. Satan will try to emulate Christ to get a following. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Starting with verse 13, the Apostle Paul speaks about these men who came in in the first few centuries or the first century that were pretending to be ministers, that were deceivers, right? And he says, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You know, one thing that our culture teaches that the Bible can agree with is don't judge people by their appearance. God knows the heart. You can put on a beautiful uh, 
appearance, you can be eloquent in your speech, and you can be teaching something that hooks people, right? Um, I get these calls on my cell phone. I don't know how they get your number of these, oh, you want to lower your credit card bill, you want to do this, and they sound so good. And a lot of them are scams. But if they didn't sound good, then they wouldn't make any money, now would they? I want to show you, uh, if you have kids, cover their eyes, I want to show you what I believe is a picture of how scary the devil is, if we can show that image. Be careful, it's going to shock you. Oh, are you shocked? <laughs> I kind of was going through some pictures and, you know, he actually looks kind of handsome. But I like that picture because it's almost like you see the angels going to worship God and he's thinking, I could have more. You know what I'm saying? And the Bible says that he doesn't come as a hideous figure, creature. He transformed himself into something of beauty. His mannerisms, his speech, his suggestions. And this is important, folks, because we can succumb to this. You know, God gave the angels free will, and he decided he needed more. Um, and, and free will is a blessing and a curse at the same time. We also have free will. We can choose God or we can choose evil. And that's why the world is in the state it's in, because the majority of mankind chooses evil. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see... Again, he took a third of the angels. And, and in the book of Daniel, we find that he takes his demons and he delegates authority. He sends them to different nations. Um, and some nations have probably more horrible demons than others. Um, he's got some people working here. Probably he's got his best demons in Washington, D.C. When you, <laughs> it's an educated group. I mean, if you study D.C., D.C. is ridden with crime, with murder, with prostitution, with avarice, with excess, with um, all kinds of vices. And they have the most amount, amazing, of law enforcement in such a small area. It is a, it is a wicked, wicked place. It, it gets into the political class. These people think that they're gods over us, many of them. Um, so, you know, Satan's got his people in D.C., I have no doubt about that. Now, just for those, again, who are Bible students, you might be surprised that John Calvin after this scripture, now I heard this through somebody else because I never like to just listen to what somebody says. I like to, because I don't want to be caught coming up here saying something and it's wrong. So John Calvin went through this portion of scripture and he said, oh, this isn't about the devil at all. I don't know how you can come to that. Um, that's why it's very important to not get caught up in, even in Calvary Chapel, in theologies based on denominations. Read the Bible for yourself. That's why God gave this to us. John Calvin made other mistakes in his, his, his idea in eschatology about uh, the promises of Israel. Um, and unfortunately, the Calvinist movement came up with really a replacement theology that puts Israel aside and says that there's no promises that are fulfilled for her. And that's actually, it's a poor, poor exegesis. It's, it's, um, it's, not, it's not real. It's not accurate. I'm just going to go through two quick verses and then we'll... we'll wrap it up, and then we'll cover the next portion of it next Sunday. So, verses 13 and 14, Satan's I wills, I will statements. Now, God has his I will statements. Um, believe it or not, there are probably, and I didn't check the number, I don't think there's an accurate tally, but there's probably hundreds of thousands of Satanists that uh, reside in the United States. That's like losing, for, it's like <laughs> rooting for the losing team every day. I don't understand that. But there are people that actually worship Satan. 
um, you know, they're, they're very up. Our culture has really changed over the years. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. But Satan says, I will do these things. And he doesn't deliver on his promises. God says, I will do these things, certain things, anything. And he does deliver on his promises. So let's go through them. He says in verses 13 and 14, I will ascend into heaven. He wants his throne to be right up there with God's throne. And you know, the people that he controls, they can never get high enough. You know, they, they can never be successful enough. They can never get promoted enough. They're just so driven to aggrandize themselves. It's good to be, I'm very competitive. <laughs> you ever play a game with me? I'm very competitive. But I also know my place in the world. I know my place in the socioeconomic chain. I know a lot of things I'll never have, never do. And I'm okay with that. But I am very competitive and I do like to win. But I also am not going to do that at the expense of, of ministry. Uh, two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Now, the stars of God were understood as the other angels, so he had an air of superiority. He wanted to be above all of them. The, the archangels, apparently there's a, a portion of Scripture where he's debating him and Michael are getting into it, the archangel, good and bad, right? Interesting. But, you know, people with an air, I don't, I, I, to me, anyone in a church who actually kind of walks around with their nose in the air, an air of superiority, I don't get that. Because we're not taught that in Scripture. I'm not better than any of you. This is just my position, and I like it. <laughs> you know. And when I get older, hopefully some people will take my place. <laughs> Three, I will sit on the mount of the congregation looking for attention. You know, narcissistic. It's never enough. Whatever you know, attention he gets, it's got to be the ultimate of attention. Four, I will ascend above the heights. Again, no limit to his ascension. Five, very interesting, I will be like the Most High. There are religions today, or pseudo-Christian religions, that teach you can be like God. Um, I've heard some preachers saying, I'm, I'm a mini-God. What's a mini-God? You're either God or you're a false God. There is no mini-God in Scripture. I'm a lesser God. The Mormons teach that when you die, not the women, just the men, that when the men die, good Mormons, ask them next time they knock on your door, invite them in, ask them some questions, that you can be elevated to godhood and you can run your own universe. So I have trouble running my own checkbook, you know. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> looking to run my own universe, come on. But I'm cool. I'll say human, I'll, I'll die, I'll go to heaven, I'll worship God for eternity. I'm good with that. Whatever he says, I'm good with. And that's what we have to understand. Do we know our place? You know, in, in the American culture, everybody's fighting. Everybody wants to be above somebody else and put somebody below them. That when we go to church, we get unbrainwashed from that, I hope. When we read the scripture, Lord, what do you want from my life? If you want me to have that promotion, I'll work really hard at it, great. If you want me to, you know, buy this or buy that, do we ever ask the Lord, do we just go out and write big checks? You know what I'm saying? Or is it a reflection of a big ego? Satanic uh, influence is alive and well in the United States. It really is. So this is where we're going to kind of come to a conclusion for this, this sermon. There is literal evil on the earth. And those that don't believe that are delusional. They're being deluded. All you have to do is read the news. There's some articles and there's some captions. I can't even read from the pulpit. 
Listen, I was a road cop for 25 years. I've seen a lot of, I've seen murder scenes. I've seen crime scenes. And sometimes as a Christian, I would sit back and go, how did this person do that to that person? The crying, the screams, the please stop. Maybe I'm, I'm sharing too much, but I've been in it. And, and, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not a, I'm very sturdy. I can, believe me, I'm not a, a wimp. But even sometimes I would look at those things and go, how does one human being do that to another human being? There is evil in this earth. When Cain smashed his brother on the head, the first brothers ever created for something ridiculous, he smashed his brother on the head and keep, kept hitting him until he died. And God said, where's your brother? His blood cries out to me from the ground. Murder. How do you murder somebody? There is evil on this earth. And this is why we're talking about this, because this is the root of that evil. If you're new to the church, I apologize for shocking you. <laughs> but these are things that we need to know. We need to understand them. Whether it's the king of Babylon, or that person at work, or that person in your family that just torments you. They hate you because you're a Christian. And it doesn't seem to make any sense. Well, this is where it makes sense. I'll read one more scripture, and then we'll close. Ephesians 6.12. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle, other scriptures say that we don't war, against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You know what that tells us? That evil people can be turned. You know, we should be praying for our leaders. We should be praying for uh, those in authority that have great power. You know, we should be praying especially for those that we know that are wicked, that are evil. I think about the leader of North Korea. What he, every time somebody defects, the horror stories that they tell about what this guy does to his own people. Pray for that man to become a Christian. I think Pol Pot, Khmer Rouge, I think at the end of his life, if I remember, or towards the end, he became a believer. Um, we need more of that. We need to be praying for our nation, our leaders. Um, at the, it may be given the chance to witness. The Apostle Paul witnessed to all these high... He, apparently, he went before Nero. Um, eventually, he lost his life. Nero didn't turn, but he did try. Now we know the root of the problem that plagues humanity. And we know the answer to the question, why is there evil? It has to do with desire and evil choices. But we get to choose as well. Because we have free will. We get to choose God's love. We get to choose eternal life, forgiveness, restoration. And that's embedded in His Son, Jesus Christ. Or we can continue pretending to be our own God. And then end up, like a lot of these people, in a reception in hell. Because we've, cause hell is the place where it's the ultimate distance from God. Distance, distance, distance. I don't want God. I don't want God. And we die in that state. Not good. As Joshua said to the Israelites, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And folks, I echo that sentiment. And I pray that everybody here this morning does the same. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, 
in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.